In this season of Smart Talks with IBM, Malcolm Gladwell will sit down with thought leaders and industry innovators from IBM and beyond. The show will explore what it means to look at today's most challenging problems in a new way. Look out for new episodes every month on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and learn more at ibm.com slash smarttalks. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there. This is Smart Talks with IBM, a podcast from Pushkin Industries, iHeartMedia, and IBM about what it means to look at today's most challenging problems in a new way. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. Today, I'm talking with not one, but two bright folk from two very important companies. We have Srini Kalapala, Vice President of Global Technology, Strategy, and Network Cloud at Verizon, as well as Steve Kanapa, Global General Manager and Managing Director of IBM's communications sector. Srini Kalapala leads Verizon's technology strategy and works closely with partners like IBM on emerging connectivity technologies. He's passionate about a world where people, machines, and systems will one day interact seamlessly. And like me, Srini is extremely excited about the technological progress we've made during the pandemic. The digital transformation just took off in the last one year because of the COVID and because we were all kept apart and, and we still needed to communicate, we still needed to get things done. Steve Kanapa heads IBM's communications sector, where he works with the telecommunications and media firms all over the globe to help them modernize their networks. Steve is extremely excited about the future of AI and machine learning. Artificial intelligence, 
the ability to put machine learning capabilities where processes get smarter continuously. The more they execute, the smarter they get. Right after the break, my conversation with Srini and Steve, the world of technological collaboration has never been more fascinating. Why don't the two of you describe the nature of the challenge? The, 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 what is it you're trying to address in the work that you do? So uh, in a word, um, what we're focused on is innovation. So with, at IBM, we, we work with clients in all industries, uh, retail, manufacturing, banking, media and entertainment, telecommunications, uh, government agencies. And we're helping them provide better services to their customers or their constituents by helping them modernize uh, the way that they bring technology and, and applications um, to all of us. And we, and we work uh, in collaboration with uh, the telecommunications companies in helping them bring those new, those new capabilities. So, Srini, tell me, start by describing the nature of your partnership with IBM. What is it that you... When you work with IBM, what are they bringing to the table? One of the things we do is that uh, drive reliable connectivity. And now the need of reliable connectivity, if you look back, say, 10, 20 years ago, the needs were different than the needs that are there today to where we're going to be in a few years from now. So, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you know, hey, I want to move around, but I want to talk to people, right? Uh, then that evolved into messaging, that evolved into, you know, 4G world where not only you're moving around, but you're able to do things with your phone and others. But as we look forward, and especially if you notice what happened in the last one year, right, the digital transformation just took off in the last one year because of the COVID and because we were all kept apart and, and we still needed to communicate, we still needed to get things done. Now, the nature of connectivity goes beyond humans. It now goes into, we need to deliver connectivity, highly reliable connectivity where machines can communicate with each other and machines can actually do things, uh, you know, uh, simple things like remote healthcare, right? So where IBM kind of fits and how we collaborate is that we see that the future is about machine mobility. So where our networks now have to deliver connectivity to things that move around, things that are connected, which require a lot more reliable connectivity than humans, right? Humans, we can adapt to errors and changes at a, at a you know second level and all that, but machines, they're designed to be perfect and that means they require high level connectivity we verizon we build highly reliable high performance networks and when you're trying to deliver these capabilities to let's say automate industries or automate uh, you know transportation sector and others ibm understands those sectors well they they have been digitizing those sectors and and they understand the domain that particular domain and what sort of solutions can actually uh, you know can be incorporated so when you bring these two expertise together now we're able to deliver this automation, this decision uh, in more effective way. That's how, you know, that, that's how we both, uh, you know, kind of collaborate and work together. When we talk about how communication between machines has to have a higher standard than communication between humans, what does that mean? Are you just talking about reliability? Are you talking about the size of the pipe? Are you talking about the scale of things you want to do? So I'm going to take an example of a, let's say a car that is connected, uh, right? And it's a, call it a semi-autonomous car. 
this car is traveling at 100 miles per hour and it's capturing uh, you know, lots of information and it may have to understand what are the other things that are in that area. When you're traveling at 100 miles per hour, um, the information you collect and the decisions that you need are going to be in the order of milliseconds. Because if you have to break at a, you know, at a speed, uh, if you take a second, you're already, you know, causing an accident. You're now talking in the ranges of 10, 20, 30 milliseconds ranges of uh, area. So that's one thing we talk about is that, you know, highly latency sensitive uh, networking. By the way, we humans, let's say you're, you're browsing something or you're trying to pull a website. It takes a couple of seconds longer. You don't actually sense that, feel that. Maybe five, 10 seconds you feel that. Whereas when you connect in a, any kind of automated thing, uh, you know, drone trying to deliver or a, a robotic vehicle within a factory environment, these things are moving at a pace where you can perceive a you know millisecond delay, and and so the networks now have to operate at that level is much higher order of uh, you know uh, you know latencies. Now the machines that we are trying to automate, they're collecting all of this data, lots of data. We're talking about hundreds of magnitudes higher than what you used to get collecting. Now if you try to send all the data to a faraway cloud, that means that you require massive amount of networks all the way, which which don't exist today. That's where edge compute comes into the picture, where you collect all of this data, you hand it over to an edge cloud that's very close to the user, let's say you know, a few miles from the user, then you process the data. Remember, a lot of data that you collect is more of uh, what we call, it's not information, it is data, right? You, you take the data, you process it locally, you get information out of it, and then you use that to both communicate back to the object you're trying to control, as well as you know, send it to wherever you need to send it to. So, in it, these are the kind of you know key ingredients that you require as you look start looking into the future. Last week, I was in Phoenix, and I took a ride on one of those autonomous vehicles. I ordered the taxi on my app. It showed up. You know, no no human being to be found. The digital backbone, the communication system. This is based on better be good, because if. You know, if we drop coverage going at 40 miles an hour down a road, trying to navigate, or, you know, a, then I'm in trouble, right? There's Not no so backup good. here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and if you think about what's actually happening in, the, in those scenarios, it, it's, it's about experience. So changing the experience. It's about personalization. And oftentimes it's about delivering insights in real time about how, you, how, how a process is happening. Uh, I'll bring it back to the manufacturing shop floor as an example to kind of tie together a couple of the points that Srini was making. Now, we've been instrumenting with IoT devices in manufacturing shop floors for quite a while, hundreds if not thousands. But now think about taking that to tens of thousands of sensors on everything that's happening in real time in that manufacturing floor. Think about how video has changed all of our lives over the last few years as it's become ubiquitous in, in the way we work and the way we you know, get entertainment, uh, news, information, uh, the way we communicate with each other. Well, video is essentially just rich data. And, it, and, and so now instead of just having sensors on that shop floor, we could have video cameras watching everything that's happening, watching workers to make sure they're in safe zones, uh, watching whatever's being produced coming down the, the factory line, uh, understanding if it's being done exactly the way it's supposed to be done, watching the machinery itself and the way it's performing to notice the slightest changes. And the second thing that we're applying then is 
artificial intelligence, the ability to put machine learning capabilities where processes get smarter continuously. The more they execute, the smarter they get. So now when you combine those two forces together, the ability to use high fidelity data like video, and the ability to interrogate and analyze that data in real time and do it right where things are occurring, like on the shop floor, and then have that backed by the kind of connectivity and the power that, that Verizon can bring with their, their edge computing platforms. We have the opportunity now to, to add tremendous value to those processes, whether that's making sure people are safe, making sure that uh, those lines are as productive and as efficient as, as possible, making sure the product quality is as high as it should be. A tremendous uh, you know, amount of value can be created by being able to apply that, that intelligence, um, that, that high bandwidth capability, and to make sure that that network is there and ready, uh, as Srini was describing, to constantly serve up those insights. Yeah. Imagine that I'm a, uh, I have a, you know, mid-sized manufacturing company, you know, founded by my grandfather. You know, I, I've been keep reasonably keeping pace with innovation. I think I'm pretty competitive. I have not done any of the things you've described. The two of you show up at my front door and what kind of promise can you make me? What, like, for example, what, when you talk about productivity improvements, are we talking about, what are we talking about here? 2%, 5%, 10%? Give me kind of more tangible examples of what you can deliver to a customer like that? So the way industries have been evolving is that they have a lot of these sensors and the sensors have been more analog. And, and, and what I mean is that more each one is designed to do a particular thing. Uh, I can tell you that like temperature sensor that basically says if you cross certain temperature, you stop the machine. You have, let's say, some wind speed sensor or something else, something else. What industries are realizing is that these sensors have been doing a certain function. By now, I'm going to use a term called virtualizing. By basically making them more lean and, and smarter and connect to the edge, you can now get all this information and you can actually make decisions based on collective intelligence, intelligence of all the sensors and each sensor doing whatever things. And to do that, you need a highly reliable connectivity. By bringing the entire collective intelligence and, 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 and making these sensors more virtual, a couple of things you're doing. One, you're going to bring in latest capabilities in, um, in called product quality and manufacturing and others, meaning that you would improve the reduced downtimes, improve uh, you know, the, the amount of uh, productivity, improve quality control issues. And you're actually going to enable the factory to continue to adapt to the newer digital capabilities that are going to come out. And each one of these capabilities, whether it's the AI and whatever else, they're all going to add to your productivity, your quality, your, you know, the key metrics that you're, you're looking at. So for a hypothetical, imagine what you're saying is, suppose I have a machine, a very expensive piece of machinery. My, my, my cousin is the president of a company in Queens that makes Jamaican beef patties. And they get these machines from Italy that cost just insane amounts of money that, you know, take the beef patty from one. And when, they, when something goes wrong, it's like a crisis because someone has to fly in from Italy, right? So listening to you, I'm thinking, well, suppose we discover that the machine starts to make lots of errors when humidity is a, hits a certain point in the company, exactly. in, the, in a factory floor, the temperature is such, when it's been running for X number of hours in a row, 
when the operator makes this kind of mistake. I mean, I can imagine 10 different things that we could say might affect performance. And you could have sensors on all those 10 things and do a calculation at any given time about what my chances are that the machine might have a malfunction. And presumably warn me before it happens. Is that exactly, exactly? Yeah. And what you've what you've just done is you've crossed over from observation into prediction, which becomes really powerful, so yeah. that you can begin to understand what's about to happen, actually before it occurs, and you can take uh, corrective uh, actions to do it. That, that's a perfect example of the kind of tremendous value that can be gained here. Adding to my little scenario from before, we could have sensors that tell me when my raw materials are getting low. We could have an AI system which reminds me when a variation's in demand and says, you actually every year have a huge uptake in at Easter, your you know, orders go up 25%. That means you've got to order X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, this is all the kinds of things you might want to do. How hard, if you walked in, how hard would it, is it to build that kind of system? Is this something you can do relatively quickly and efficiently, or is it does it take months to kind of customize a system for a customer like that? So for, for, you know, any different client, some things can be basically prepackaged and, and ready to deploy. Um, and, you know, as, as these uh, solutions evolve, um, you know, there will be some offerings that are, you know, essentially load and go as a service. Uh, others will be more customized or tailored based on what a given client will, will want to do. But one of the things that's, I think, really important in what we're working on and what Verizon's working on is there are a set of standards that the marketplace is embracing. And those standards allow for an ecosystem of players to, to come together and, and to work um, seamlessly. And, and for IBM, you may have heard uh, you know, the term, uh, our open hybrid cloud approach. We're very, very focused on working in collaboration with the telecommunication providers uh, in the marketplace to help bring these open standards because uh, two really powerful things happen. One is we create an enormous um, pool of innovators that can contribute and accelerate the rate and pace of innovation. So we're working very closely with Verizon on on some of those open standard architectures. And then secondly, on really creating an ecosystem of partners. So when we announced um, just at, towards the end of last year, our IBM Cloud for Telco, we announced with um, over 40 different partners that are coming together to be able to bring innovation um, to these kinds of solutions. And, and, and I think that's, that's going to help us um, really accelerate the opportunity to, to bring these kinds of solutions we're describing. Yeah. Trini, is there somebody out there, an industry, a sector, that you think could benefit the most from the kind of services that IBM and Verizon provide? I mean, who, where could you make an extraordinary difference? Retail. Retail is a very interesting area because both with COVID, you, you start getting into these ideas of touch-free retail and how you do things more customized to end users and others. But retail itself is actually changing. Um, you know, you, you hear about these uh, stores without any, you know, assistance or you walk in, you buy and walk out. In, in all of these cases, what you're seeing is automation really taking a bigger place. For example, I, I, you know, one of the retailers, uh, you know, decent-sized store 
is looking to put about 1,400 high-definition cameras. Now, the cameras work as, call it, computer vision sensors, and they capture the information, and using that, you can actually understand what individuals are. uh, You can do lots of things with the computer vision, what people are doing, how much stock you have in the store, and lots of other things. Now you take all that, you process that, and uh, and you could you know if you introduce automation at the point where people can come in, pick up what they want, they can walk out without having to even interact with anybody out there, right? That's one extreme of it. I'm just imagining that I'm I'm running a store, put in a bunch of cameras. I got 50 stores across America. I've just put in my spring line, and I got a bunch of new dresses. So you could tell me that, Malcolm, you have this new orange dress, which you've put in all 50 stores. Not a single person has looked at that dress in the retail store in the last week. You could also tell me 78% of the people who stopped in the thing lingered in front of the teal sweatshirt. And you're out of teal sweatshirts as a result. Order more teal sweatshirts now and forget about the dress. It's not going anywhere. And and not only that... And not yeah. only that, I'm not a retail expert, by the way, but I can tell you that not only that, we can also tell you that people who looked at something for however longer time, two seconds, two minutes, whatever, tend to buy things versus if they don't look at it, that means, you know, if they're just walking off, that means, you know, that you're not going to. So you can get such a deeper set of insights that mm-hmm. both can help you as a business to figure out how do you, uh, you know, how do you interact with your customers? But at the same time, you can also... Uh, use this this data to actually, uh, you know, call it push your product to the customer, and you know, based on their personal preferences, choices, and call it circumstances, right? So that's the kind yeah. of the data gives you so much and uh, so much what you call ability to kind of you know customize yourself uh, to to meet the customer demands. You know, in in a way, what we're talking about here is you know, a using video as we talked about as a, as a rich fidelity set of data, but also applying AI or intelligence to that so that you can take action on it. But part of this is about humans and machines interacting, which makes the human in doing that role more effective. Another area where we both are excited about is industrial automation. So if you look at uh, you know, Malcolm, what happened over the last few years is. The world has digitized. You know, everything can be digital. The back offices, the manufacturing process and others, they have not been digitized. So uh, in, a, in a number of situations, you put this nice digital storefront and digital experience in the front, but your back office is still lagging with, you know, older uh, factories and older sensors and whatnot. And the problem is that at some point, the problem is going to catch up. And, and that is, you will not be able to keep your front digital experiences without really you know, knowing what is going on in your pack- factories. Right? Do you have the product? Do you, can you ship the product on time? And if you come into somebody, I'm going to deliver something to you tomorrow, can you really get it there? So the next 10 years, there's going to be a lot of industrial automation that's going to uh, take place. Now, for industrial automation, um, few things are going to make a bigger, bigger uh, you know, impact. One, you do need a highly reliable connectivity within those environments. Whatever small number of sensors they have today, they're, they're connected using wires. But the problem with the wires is that it takes a long time to really go connect everything. You need a highly reliable wireless communication. Number two, we're going to have inordinate amount of sensors all over these environments because to your point about uh, your cousin's uh, uh, Jamaican uh, uh, beef patties, by the way, uh, it, it does sound very attractive. Uh, so, <laughs> they're good. They're really good. <laughs> yeah. So... so now you're going to put sensors everywhere so that you can predict, you can understand exactly what's going on. 
The third thing you're going to do is that use all of the data that's getting generated and apply AI and machine learning tactics on that so that you can not only understand uh, the, the, you know, the, what is going on within the environment, but you can actually predict, you can forecast now in a much better way so that if your customer is expecting X, Y, Z on certain time, you have data to tell you that you can absolutely come into that X, Y, Z uh, to be delivered to the customer on time. So it's that combination of sensors, programming, and intelligence, and uh, AI, and others IBM understands a lot from that environment to the reliable connectivity that we bring and and the edge compute that uh, that we put together. Those elements that you've just mentioned, um, there they can't all be at the. I'm wondering if they're they're not all at the same level of sophistication or development. Or is there one that you worry the most about? Like for example, when you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the internet in my house is not Verizon, but the internet in my house is not that good. I mean. I have to reboot my router every two days and I get a little, I have to have massive backups because sometimes it just conks. I mean, you know what I mean? Like when I hear all this, I think this is really, really wonderful. But the the reality in the little town I live in is the internet's just not that good. So if I was a company in my little town, how would I do what you're doing if my if my fundamental service is so spotty? Yeah, I, by the way, first, uh, I wish we were your internet providers. You wouldn't be having those issues. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's my uh, plug in there. Uh, but uh, so I think the infrastructure, the broader connectivity infrastructure um, will need to evolve. Uh, again, I go back to COVID because I think COVID truly pointed that out that you can operate at a normal pace if you have a good connectivity. But if you don't have a good connectivity, you will get left behind. We certainly continue to deploy more and more connectivity. Um, where I see it's not a worry, but it's more of an optimism is that is 5G is going to change that. Now, 5G brings in higher amount of throughputs in a wireless manner so that, you know, wired is a, a difficult proposition. Digging streets is not an easy thing. And then connectivity costs a lot if you go through that way. But then on the other hand, a wireless uh, high bandwidth connectivity, reliable connectivity makes it easier because you know, it's something we can deploy in a matter of an hours. Within the factory environments, what I actually worry about uh, is the technologies, the ingredients are evolving at a rapid pace. It is the people who operate those environments and it is the, you know, the pace at which they adopt is what has got to catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're going to start seeing is that the tech uh, is evolving so, uh, so rapidly that the expectations um, from the consumers in terms of, you know, hey, when you guarantee something, I want it to be guaranteed because you should have had that, uh, you know, you won't promise me something if you can't uh, keep up. Those sort of expectations are going to uh, continue to increase. And if the, the, the people who are actually managing and operating the factories and, and working those factories cannot adapt and cannot evolve fast enough, you know, that's what we're worried about is that the adoption and the, the evolution of those environments. I mean, this is a question for both of you along those lines. You know, are are the two of you, are your two companies big enough to handle this challenge? And I say that not, I'm not trying to provoke you, but you're talking about something where potentially every business in this country could, you know, benefit extraordinarily from this revolution. We haven't even mentioned healthcare, 20% of GDP. You know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of people in 
who are employed in that industry, many of the industry standards in healthcare are straight out of the 19th century. You could throw an army at that problem and you wouldn't put a dent in it. I mean, do both your companies have to scale up to meet the challenge of of delivering, of making this revolution real? Well, for IBM, we've been working with uh, each of these industry uh, sectors for for many many years, and and so we have a a pretty good understanding and a longstanding relationship with with many of the leaders in each of those different industries. And so we're working day by day with them as they're trying to adopt these kinds of innovations into their business. So as much as I think Trini would say, and it, as would I, that, that we both have ambitions to to really bring a lot of value um, to all of these industries. We, we know there'll be many other firms that'll be um, doing the same. And, and what we want to be able to do is to create um, as, as open, efficient, and as automated a technology environment as possible that allows for that innovation to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and Steve has summarized it very well. I mean, Malcolm, the way to look at this is tech is evolving so much and on multiple fronts, right? We talked about sensors, we talked about AI, we talked about connectivity, we talked about cloud and software and computing. There is no no one single company that can claim and say that they have mastered all the domains. That's why this is a you know collaboration and kind of standards based interoperability across companies is critical. The way I look at us is we provide these what we call the core ingredients. Connectivity is a critical core ingredient. Compute cloud are core ingredients. We provide them these basic ingredients so that others can come and innovate on top and you know deliver these. Uh, these these kind of emerging and new services uh, to the to mm-hmm. the uh, enterprises and customers. Yeah, there's a couple of terms that I wanted to get more complete definitions of, and I wanted to start with edge computing. I know Steve, you had talked, you had given us a uh, an initial definition, but imagine that I am a complete computer illiterate. Let's let's really dig into that term and what we mean when we use that term and how that kind of differs from uh, what might be a more conventional um, uh, computing model. Yeah, so let me use an example that maybe could help um, you kind of draw a picture of what that might be. Um, unfortunately, uh, I'm based in Los Angeles. Uh, as you know, most of your listeners would know, California has been battling with fires um, you know, in the fall almost every year now. This last year, very devastating. Um, in, in an edge connected world that Srini and I have been describing. A fire begins in Northern California. On Wednesday, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, on Thursday, we've got an unfolding disaster in, you know, some part of, of the, the, the state. An edge platform in proximity to where that fire is comes to life as a platform. And a set of applications come to life on that edge platform. And immediately drones are flying above that fire and taking video imaging and sending it down to that edge platform. And a bunch of AI tools are analyzing that video to analyze where is the fire? What's the terrain look like? What are the things that are in the path of where that fire is likely to go so that we can begin to plan out how, how to fight it? And then data coming perhaps from our weather company is going into those models on that edge platform. And it's infusing intelligence about wind patterns and moisture in the air and 
things that also will impact the way that that fire is likely to perform. And that data is being analyzed and then fed to the first responders. And when the first responders show up on the scene, their, their trucks, their cars, their equipment is placed in an optimal position based on the analysis that's been done on, you know, how that fire is likely to perform and, and where, in fact, you know, uh, property or, or people are at risk because of it. And sensors, we were talking earlier about sensors. Sensors are in the area that are measuring the amount of moisture in the foliage that also is going to impact the way that the fight against that fire is going to be done. The point is a lot of data coming from a number of different sources, from sensors, from video, being analyzed in an environment that's very close to where that fire is occurring so you can get that real-time response and then providing information with the ultimate objective to save lives, save property, get that fire out as soon as possible. And when it's out, that edge platform can essentially wind down and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, those applications can then be kept and, and made ready for the next fire, wherever it may happen. That's the kind of automation and intelligence and real-time insights that could fundamentally be brought to bear in, in an edge environment. I, I, th- I think that, I, hopefully that paints a little bit of a, of a picture of how we, we see this edge environment creating tremendous value. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to uh, both of you, Srini and Steve. Um, it's, been, um, it's been really fascinating. I'm so grateful for the work that companies like Verizon and IBM are doing to help fight wildfires. And to Srini and Steve for taking the time to chat with me about all that and more. And the sensors. We can't forget the importance of sensors. Sensors that infuse new intelligence, whether they're monitoring where a fire is going or making sure equipment in retail factories is functioning safely. Sensors are crucial to protecting people in so many different capacities. It's pretty amazing stuff. Smart Talks with IBM is produced by Emily Rostek with Carly Migliori, edited by Karen Shikurji, engineering by Martin Gonzalez, mixed and mastered by Jason Gambrell, music by Gremoscope. Special thanks to Molly Sosha, Andy Kelly, Mia LaBelle, Jacob Weisberg, Heather Fain, Eric Sandler, Maggie Taylor, and everyone at 8Bar and IBM. Smart Talks with IBM is a production of Pushkin Industries and iHeartMedia. You can find more Pushkin podcasts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. See you next time.